Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Let's stay standing. Uh, We read uh, God's Word together, um, and today we are in Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible... Um, That's okay. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you, and if you'd like to follow along there, we're on page 810. And so um, Sally this morning is going to read for us really the whole section of the Beatitudes, um, and then we'll focus in on verse 9. Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, be, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that um, your word speaks to us. We thank you that um, that we can we can read and and hear and study with confidence, knowing that um, these these words that are written are not uh, merely the words of men, though you used though you used men um, to to pen these words. um, They are your words. Um, and we affirm that just right up front. And so, Lord, if that's, if that's the truth, then the implication is, is that whatever you say um, is, is what you are calling us into, um, that, that whatever you say, that those who would um, identify themselves as followers of Jesus, that, um, that, that our response would be that though these things are, are challenging and though these things are difficult to understand, that we would submit ourselves to them. Um, and so, Lord, I pray this morning for our church. I thank you for this, this particular body. Um, may it be true of us that we are committed to the truths of your word and that we are faithful in teaching it um, and, that, and that as disciples, as, as followers of Jesus, um, that it would be said of us that we are obedient to our master. Um, so, Lord, we need your help in those things. Uh, we, don't, we don't just... Uh, we don't just conjure up the energy to do it. Um, Lord, we need a, a work um, of your spirit within us, um, first and foremost to understand, uh, but, but then the power of your spirit to, um, to obey. Um, and so we thank you for the gift of your spirit that, that those who are children of God have within them, um, that you have promised to us, that you have told us in your word that gives us, um, gives us all that we need in order to, to live obedient and godly lives. Um, and so, Lord, we just we pray that we would not quench the Spirit's work in us, uh, but that we would, 
we would submit ourselves to you. Um, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. Uh, we know that um, it, is, it is the gospel. Um, it is the, the truth of the, the life, the death, the burial, the burial, the resurrection, ascension, and the, the now interceding of Jesus, Lord, that uh, we have hope. So we just pray, Lord, that we would fix our eyes on that, um, even in challenging times, um, even in weary moments. Um, we know that you're teaching, and we know that, that you are, are good. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Be seated. It's really great to be with you, great to see you. Um, it feels like we have a lot of people, and of course, all of you would show up on maybe one of the most difficult Beatitudes to teach. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, and so, Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 9, um, as we have read this morning already, we'll, we'll just read this again, Matthew 5, 9, says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we're, we're beginning, I believe, to feel the, the very real and the very personal implications of what it looks like to submit ourselves to Jesus, right? Um, we are beginning to sense the costliness of following Jesus. And remember, um, the costliness of following Jesus is not an elephant in the room. It's something that Jesus addresses himself. He just acknowledges it right up front in the coming chapters. He's going to address the cost of following Jesus. Um, and that was not just the cost to the early disciples. That is the cost to us today as followers of Jesus, um, that it will cost us something to follow Jesus. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that this morning. But if, if you recall, if you've been with us um, for, for several weeks, um, before we really even began digging into Jesus's words in Matthew chapter five, um, I preached actually the end of the sermon first in Matthew chapter seven. We preach the final verses of uh, the final portion of Jesus's sermon in Matthew seven, um, where it says that Jesus was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus was teaching people in a way that was gripping people. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't only good and captivating teaching, the reason why it was good and captivating was because of the authority with which he spoke is what the scriptures say. Um, I don't know what all that means. I don't know what that necessarily that feels like. Um, I, I think we all have a little bit of, a, of an understanding um, of, of what it's like to be in the presence of someone who, who speaks with authority, right? Um, and I would just say that there are people who speak with authority, but no one has more authority than Jesus, and so you may be in the presence of someone who speaks with authority. You may feel the, the, the weight and the reality of someone who speaks with authority, but let me just say in that moment to remind you that it is Jesus who holds ultimate authority. Um, and so that is just our profession, our confession here. And so I wanna boil down for us what I think submission simply and ultimately means. This is kind of an, a way of introduction into what Jesus is gonna say today. Um, and so a way to boil down for us, and we really need to hear this, a way for us to boil down what submission simply and ultimately means is that we say yes to Jesus, period. We just say yes to Jesus. So you're just like, yeah, but what if? No, that's not what submission to the authority of Jesus looks like as disciples. Submission to Jesus simply and ultimately means that, that we say yes to him. Here's the thing with with Jesus 
that is true of no one else that I want you to know this morning, church, and this will make a world of difference in our lives as individuals and as a people. Um, This is true of no one else, that Jesus is worthy of saying yes to without any other information. Let me just say that. Jesus is worthy of saying yes to without any explanation, with no more information. Thankfully, we have a lot of it though, right? We do have, Jesus is gracious in showing us how he calls us to live. But Jesus is the only one worth saying yes to without any other information. So I don't know if any of you, you know, I don't know those of you who have a kid, you know, or children in, in your life. Um, but, but one of the things that my kids do, they're in here, so I'm not talking about them behind their back. Um, one of the things that my kids will regularly do is they'll just, because they know, they know that, hey, dad's not always gonna say yes, but what they'll do is, dad, whatever I'm about to say, just say yes. <laughs> Parents, have you ever, your grandparents, just whatever I'm about to say, just, just go ahead and give me the yes. In fact, there's, I don't, know, I don't know what possessed us to let them even watch this movie. There's a movie, I, we don't talk about movies much from here, but there's a movie called Yes Day, I think, um, and it's a terrible movie. Uh, because it gets in our kids' minds that we should have yes days. And I've taken, I really have taken the opportunity to tell my children, you don't want a yes day. You, you actually don't want a yes day. In church family, you don't want a, in, in the terms that we would think of it, you don't want a yes God. You don't want a, a God that tells you everything you want to hear. You don't want, a, you don't want that God. God knows more than you. God can see a bigger picture than you can see. Just as my children don't really want a yes day because me as their father, in a limited way, know what's best for them, God ultimately knows what's best for us. And so my kids come up to me, hey, dad, uh, whatever I might say, you just say yes. And I just look at them and say, I was born at night, but not last night, kid. Not, we're, not, we're not doing that. Jesus, though, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he is the only one who is worthy of looking us in the face and saying, child, whatever I'm about to say to you, you say yes. Well, we can just, we can trust Jesus that much that whatever he's about to say. So for us as a people this morning, whatever Jesus is about to say to us, we can say, maybe with gritted teeth, can we just be honest that it's not easy following Jesus? Maybe with gritted teeth, we can say, Jesus, I'll submit myself to who you are and to what you say. So in the, if a few, of, a few of, our, of our church folk have been through a class called Perspectives. Um, and there's a Perspectives class that actually meets here on Thursday night. We're not, just so you know, we're not formally affiliated with Perspectives. Um, we're, we're blessed to be able to host them this semester. But, but one of the things that you'll hear if you go through that Perspectives class, Perspectives is a, is a class that walks through God's, vision and God's mission in the world, that, that his name and his glory would be known to the ends of the earth. That's Genesis chapter one, by the way. That's, that's the opening chapters of the Bible, that, that my glory would be known throughout the ends of the earth. And it's his purpose through the gospels, through the epistles, and to, and to the very ends of the age, that his glory would be known among the nations. And so that's what perspective is all about. Let's look at the, you know, they, perspectives looks at God's mission from, through four different lens, uh, biblical, historical, cultural, and somebody help me. Man, what is it? 
biblical, cultural, historical, strategic. Um, and so we look at, the, at God's mission through four different lens. What's the biblical mandate for the mission of God? What's the historical, what's the historical practice of the church throughout all the centuries? How, has, how have God's people throughout the centuries been obedient to Jesus in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth? Uh, cultural, what are some of the cultural boundaries? What are some of the cultural hurdles that we face in, in, the, in the gospel, the ends of the earth? And then what are some of the strategic ways? Well, all that to say, that's kind of an explanation one of the phrases that you'll hear often in this perspectives class is you put your yes on the table and you allow God to put it on the map. You put your yes on the table and you let God put it on the map. So what that indicates for us is that we would put our yes on the table and we would trust Jesus. We would trust God with wherever it is that he's calling us for mission and we would allow him to put it on the map for us. And again, that's kind of a, a missions approach but it also relates to how we follow and obey Jesus, that we would put our yes on the table and we would allow him to direct us the way that he would choose to direct us. And so as we've tried to establish in understanding Christ's sermon, Jesus, this is just kind of a, a, an overarching summary of the Beatitudes and, and really the sermon when Jesus talks about his kingdom. And so as we've, we've established and attempted to understand in Christ's sermon, Jesus is stating objectively, what life is like in his kingdom. It's what life is like in his kingdom. I'm the king, he says. It's my kingdom. I call the shots. And this is what life within this kingdom looks like. And so we've seen, blessed are the poor in heart, blessed are the pure pure in heart, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek. There's a lot there. So he's the king, it's his kingdom. What he says goes, and Jesus is no temporary king. With, uh, Jesus, is, Jesus has no term limits. <laughs> he has no term limits, but he, but he also is eternal, and so he also doesn't pass away. You know, So he's not like he'll be replaced. He's eternal. He's, he has died, and he has risen, and he is alive today. So his kingship is eternal. And so what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, 9 is essentially this. Let's read it again for what it is. You're like, I already know it. Well, we're just gonna get our eyes on it again. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so what Jesus says about his kingdom, essentially for us to understand is this. Kingdom people make peace. My people make peace. Kingdom people are peacemakers. That's what... We've, we've talked a lot about what this blessedness means. We've, 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 we've gone into how this blessedness indicates the, the highest level of human satisfaction, the highest level of human flourishing, that if we want to live truly satisfied lives, this is what satisfied life looks like in a kingdom that is ruled by King Jesus. That's what this blessedness means. So again, we're all seeking satisfaction. We're all seeking hope. We're all seeking some way to be fulfilled. And Jesus says, fulfillment is experienced in this way. And so to understand it most purely, it's most important to understand the kind of crowd that Jesus would have been teaching and who it was that was hearing this. So let's start there. Let's start with a little bit of context. Let's start with who is hearing this message. Now, we see at the beginning of Matthew 5 that he's sitting and he's teaching his disciples. But by the end of the sermon, we, we have good, 
reason to believe that more than just his disciples are in earshot of what Jesus is teaching. And so to understand what Jesus is saying about peacemaking, it's really important for us to understand the crowd that Jesus is, has captivated and who it is that's hearing this teaching here. And so let me also say this, as hard as it may be for us to wrap our minds around this teaching and to attempt to even think of the cost or what the implication would be, let me just say this, it would have been even more difficult for those initially hearing this. And, and here's why. Because they were a people, that there, there were people in this crowd, whether directly or indirectly, who were deeply aware and had a deep and real knowledge of the promises of God that he would, want, that he would one day deliver his people from, from the brutality and the persecution of their oppressors. They were, they were deeply aware of this promise. They were aware that a Messiah was coming. And they thought it was, they thought it was that, that their Messiah, that their deliverer was coming only to deliver them from earthly, national-type oppression. So they were, they were really looking forward to that day. And, and they, they knew that the Messiah would come and deliver death blows to their earthly enemies is what, is what they thought. And so essentially that the Messiah's coming was to be this military national reign of a Messiah. Peace was not really what they had in mind, at least initially. They thought peace would come, but only once Jesus wiped out all the bad guys. And so that's what they hear. This is why in Matthew 11, you got John the Baptist. You know John the Baptist's place in the life of Jesus, right? He was the forerunner to Jesus. He knew his place. John 3.30, he must increase. John knew his place. The one who's coming after me is way better than I am. But in Matthew 11, John the Baptist is sitting in prison, and he sends some people to Jesus, messengers to Jesus. And while he's in prison, Jesus receives this question coming from the mouth of John, and it says, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Because in some way in John the Baptist's mind, he's thinking, this is not the way this is supposed to go. This is not the kind of peace, this is not the kind of reign that, that thou was expecting of the Messiah. And so this idea of the Messiah as a conqueror in their minds was not only how they would finally experience victory around them, it is how they would achieve ultimate sonship. It is how they would, they would, be, they would ultimately experience the, the, the inheritance of, of Yahweh, of their God. And so the people who are hearing this really believe this deeply. And this is why Jesus includes what he does at the end of verse 9. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, again, the way that these people were going to achieve sonship was through some warfare, was through some God sending a Messiah and taking care of all the people around them, delivering them from death, delivering them from suffering, delivering them from all those things. But as we know from reading the rest of the Bible, are we delivered from death and suffering? No. Death and suffering happens. Jesus is going to go on teaching. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake in the very next verse. And so these people have to, have to, to 
to come to terms that is not through this earthly conquering that our long-awaited Messiah will deliver us from our enemies and that we will experience the blessings of God and live in his family. No, Jesus says here that those who make peace will be those who reflect the character of their heavenly father. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so this immediate context for them is that their minds were sent on a coming conquering king, but there's implications for us today. So there's a, there's a meaning that it would have had for them, but there's a way for us to apply and understand what this means for us as disciples. And so the implications for us is that ultimately this, that we have peace with God through Jesus. We have peace with God. There is a, there is a wall of hostility that was div- that dividing us from our brothers. There was a, 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 a wall even between us and God that through Jesus, it was, it was torn down and it was destructed. And so the implications for us is that since we have peace with God through Jesus, that we, as those who are at peace with Jesus, are to be makers of peace. We are to make peace. And here's really just the bottom line. Here's the bottom line for us. Peacemaking is sacrificial, and it reflects who the Father is. Can I get an amen? At least on the, at least on the first part, peacemaking is sacrificial. You're like, well, yeah, man, I definitely want to reflect the Father, but peacemaking, I don't know about the sacrifice involved with that. And so if peacemaking is sacrificial and reflects who the Father is, ultimately, we've got to ask this question. How did the Father accomplish peace? How did he accomplish peace for us? Well, Colossians 1.20, if you would, turn there with me this morning. Colossians 1.20, this is Paul's writing. Colossians 1.20, there's a big old broader context and more verses to this that are beautiful and wonderful. But we're gonna just read this verse together, 120. And through him, Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So how did God accomplish peace for us? Simply put, by sending his son Jesus, who gave his life on the cross. And because of this, we have peace with God. We have been made at peace with God through his work. So here's the thing. Here's, here's something that we need to understand that maybe, at least in your mind, you haven't thought of, and I hadn't thought about this very much before I started studying this, but many times, and, and, and maybe there's some validity to this, many times we think we are doing well to keep peace. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. There's an important distinction there, by the way that we, we can't miss. Jesus very intentionally uses the words that he uses. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let me just, let me say this in as gracious of a way that I can that applies for all of us and not just you heathens. It's all of us. Y'all aren't the heathens. We all are the heathen. Keeping peace is rarely sacrificial. Keeping peace in in our lives with people around us, rarely, I'm not saying never, but keeping peace is rarely sacrificial. 
But what God shows us in making peace is that it is always and it is fundamentally sacrificial, isn't it? When you read of the peace that we have with God, you'll, you'll pretty much always read making peace, fill in the blank, by. In Colossians, it's making peace by the blood of his cross. And for Romans 5, we're going to go there in just a little bit. But you always have this initiating work of a Savior who is making peace. Jesus is not merely keeping peace with us. Jesus has made peace for us. And so this is something that we cannot miss. And I told you this when we preached Matthew 7 several weeks ago. I told you all at the beginning of the series It will not be my goal in any of this to try to be the Holy Spirit in your life. So if you're just like, oh gosh, he's about to start talking about some things I don't want to talk about. Hey, we might, but it's not my goal to convict you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And so let me just, so we're going to address some of that. And I think we need to stop and pray. I think we need to pray for the Spirit of God to do a work in us. I think we need to pray for the Spirit of God to really... And here's the thing. I've mentioned this before. We are, me included, are, are so easily and heavily distracted that sometimes I wonder if the Spirit were to really just kind of sweep over us, would we even hear him? Would we even hear what the Spirit is trying to say? And that's like not in some sort of like law heavy way, that's only one part of the equation. Hearing the Spirit is one thing. Obeying the Spirit is another. And so my question for us is if the Spirit were to do a work deep within your heart today, and mine too, mine too, I promise I've been the more anxious one to preach this than than you. Now, I know that some of the implications of this are very real, but if the Spirit were to speak, are you... Are you tuned in enough that you would hear the voice of God? And if you heard the voice of God, are you, are you humble enough? Are you confident enough in the promises of God that you would be obedient to what he has to say? But what we'll also pray for now is that the Lord would, would heal our hearts. Because when we talk about peacemaking, we're talking about pain, aren't we? We're talking about betrayal, We're talking about something that has happened to us. Maybe on our own doing, maybe because of our own choices, but it may be because of the choice of someone else. And this is where peacemaking gets, if we can just be really honest, really complex. And so what better thing to do than just come to the Lord now and ask him to help us? Can we do that? Father, we... We do just come to you and we acknowledge first and foremost what we've already established, Lord, that that those of us who are your children, um, you have made peace with us through sending your son, Jesus. And so may we just, before anything else, before we resolve to do something, before we we get amped up, before before we respond or react in any way, Lord, may we... Simply be moved in this moment by the, by the truth that we were, we were separated 
We were, we were alienated from God, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has for us, made us alive. So may we be moved by that even now. And then, Lord, we know that um, you are not only peacemaker, but, Lord, you are healer. Um, you heal what is, what is broken within us. Um, you, you address those places in our hearts that are, are really difficult to trust you in, and you invite us in those, in those moments. Not, you don't invite us after we've cleaned ourselves up and, and thought long and hard about what we've done, but it's in those moments of weariness and brokenness that the invitation from you, from your son, comes. Come to me. And so, Lord, would you just do the, the work that only you can do in our hearts? Spirit of God, would you speak to us? Um, would, you, would you help us to obey what it is um, that, that, that Jesus has taught us um, and, that, and that we as, as your followers can, can believe is what's best and what is the highest level of human satisfaction and flourishing in this way? And so we just pray these things in your name. Amen. So again, I told you at the beginning of the series, it's not my goal in any of this to be the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit's a much better Holy Spirit than I am. Um, and so we must, thanks for that laugh over there, Lori. Thank you, appreciate that. Um, now we must acknowledge, we must acknowledge that in some cases, this is the reality. And I think the, I think the script, I'll show you where the scriptures teach on this. In some cases, peace may not happen. Peace may not come. Peace may not um, be the result of our efforts in seeking to make peace. I think we can all say amen to that. Maybe we've sought to make peace with someone, and we know that peace is not. But Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans, addresses just that. I love it. Don't you love it? Like, Paul addresses that. He sees this reality, and in Romans 12, 18, he says, if possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So, so God is calling us, Jesus is calling us to be peacemakers. He's saying, kingdom citizens make peace. My people make peace. And Paul, Paul says, not to add to Jesus' words in any way, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with, with all. And so I, I think, based on this, that there is a scenario where peace is sought and yet it is not experienced, it is not achieved, that we don't experience the peace that we feel should come because of this vulnerable moment by me to make this peace. And so I can't even begin to imagine, church, all the scenarios that may exist just within the lives of those within this room today. I've spoken with some of you about uh, maybe conflict that you have. I've shared with you, um, some, with some of you, about conflict that exists in my life. But I can't even begin to imagine all of the scenarios and all the experiences that may exist just within the lives of those in this room today that this touches really deeply on. I can't imagine some of the hurt and some of the pain that may be in this room that is the result of something real that you've experienced because of the, the sin of someone else. But I can tell you this with a lot of confidence, and please don't just hear this as a as a passing cliche. I don't understand it, but God does. God knows it 
deeply. Jesus himself knows deeply and personally the pain of betrayal, the pain of the consequences of the sins of other people. And God is gracious to us, I think, primarily, I don't know primarily, but two major ways that God is gracious to us in this, that, he, that we can experience comfort. There's two things that I want to point out. The first is that we can know that God does because he has given us his word. He's given us his sufficient, authoritative, and let me say this from here, his inerrant, infallible word. He's given us a word. So if you are in one of those situations where, you have, where peacemaking just feels so heavy to you, yes, it is complex, and yes, it is messy, and yes, it is difficult, but more than any of those things, God is gracious and he is a redeemer. He can redeem what has been tragically broken. And in his word, in his sufficient, infallible, inerrant, authoritative word, he has given us a vision for what life in his kingdom is like. And again, we're going to say this over and over and over again today because we really need it. We can't do this without a supernatural working of his spirit in our hearts. I mean, guys, Galatians, Ephesians speaks of this. Ephesians, fruit of the spirit? Galatians? Galatians, sorry. Get those two mixed up. They're very different. I shouldn't get them mixed up. Ephesians, we've got the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And we could preach a whole sermon on that, and I don't need to get off on that rabbit trail. The fruit of the Spirit, though, is peace. And so we have, because of his word, because of the teachings of who God is in the Old Testament, because of who Jesus reveals to us God is in the Gospels, because of who Paul writes about who God is and his affirmation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus teaches, we know that God is a God of peace. Here's another way that God is gracious to us in helping us understand this. This gets a little bit more personal. He's given us one another. He's given us a community of people. He's given us people. So, church family, I can almost guarantee you that if you will work these things out, these complexities out in community, you will be met with grace by those around you. You'll be met with understanding. You will be met with wisdom. And we, it, we obviously acknowledge that, unfortunately, this isn't always the case. There's probably been a time in your life where you've shared something really heavy and really weighty only to be met with judgment, Right? only to be met with being kept at arm's reach from that point on. I can almost guarantee, though, that here, though I cannot guarantee perfection, I can almost guarantee here that if you are deeply involved in community with other people and not trying to work these things out in isolation, that you will be met with grace, that you will be met with wisdom and understanding. And so, this is also an encouragement to those of you who may be on the listening side. Let me just address us. We don't have to fix it. We don't have to fix these, these hard and complex things. I would encourage you in your community groups this week, you're probably gonna talk about some of this. I would encourage you in your, in your groups that if, that if someone entrusts you with something weighty, 
with something heavy, something that feels unbearable, let's go to the book of James and see that, that may we be slow to speak. Maybe we be quick to listen, quick to hear. And then even a level deeper that, that I would encourage you to offer godly encouragement where the Spirit leads and that you would practice restraint where all you have is a strong opinion. Like there's, a, there's, a, there's a place for us in community to work these things out. And I learned about, I learned about this in perspectives last, last semester. Like I believe that not, not every wacky question that comes up in my community group um, has to necessarily be fixed. And it's not like God's you know, pushing the panic button with the spirit and the sun, like you know, 20, 2319 down there, like things are going, going haywire and we gotta, we gotta jump in and fix it. And so would you, would you ask, even if you're on the receiving end of hearing something like this, would you ask the Spirit of God to just give you wisdom in that moment? Maybe give you patience in that moment. Maybe to, to hold your tongue if needed. And then maybe, just maybe, that, that maybe you follow up later with someone and just say, hey, would, would you mind if, if, I, if I encouraged you in this area? And so it's just a call for us to practice patience and grace with one another. And then the, the last part of this verse, we're halfway through verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What this means right here, so we said peacemaking is sacrificial and it reflects the father. So when you hear they shall be called the sons, by the way, it's sons and daughters. It's not just for the men in the room. There were men and women in the crowd. Um, I, I believe that one of the reasons why Jesus may have used the word sons here is because it would have resonated with them because it was a typically the firstborn son that received the inheritance and the promises of the father. But there were men and women in this crowd. And so what Jesus is saying is that they shall be called the children of God, the sons and the daughters of God. And here's what that means, is that peacemaking reflects the father. You all see my boys running around here. So we, you know, we've got kind of a, an interesting family dynamic. We've got um, a couple of our children are adopted, some are biological, but even our adopted children just seem to kind of take the form of those who, of me or their mama, right? And so you see my boys running around here and you hear them say certain things. You know, you hear them speak in certain ways and, and you know, one of them asks for a donut and you're like, yeah, you're, that's Nathan's boy. Because... Um, I'm looking for food. So you see my boys run around here. You hear them say certain things in certain ways. And what is it that comes to your mind? Those are Nathan's boys. So when Jesus says what he's saying here, he's not so much saying it as in, as in the reward for making peace. Ultimately, you know, it's not, we've talked about this. It's not a matter of do this so that you can get this. That's how we tend to think of it, right? Like we want, we, want all, we, we want to follow Jesus so long as it benefits us. This isn't quite what Jesus is saying. There are benefits to following Jesus, yes. But what Jesus is saying here is not so much a reward for making peace as if we work our way into his family. No, Jesus is saying that the blessing of being a peacemaker is that it most truly reflects who God is and what God has done. So the, the world will see us. Jesus addresses this. They're going to know your disciples. They're going to know that you're my disciples by your love, 
by your obedience. And so the world looks at us and sees us and say, they're their daddy's, they're their daddy's kid. And so Jesus here, again, is saying that the blessing of being a peacemaker is that it truly reflects who God is and what, it, what God has done. You're a peacemaker? Oh, you must be a child of God. You look just like your dad. Making peace is what God has done for us. And not only what God has done, but the very thing that God has come to accomplish. I love Romans chapter five. Go, go there, if you will. I would encourage you to read all of it. But we're just gonna read one verse, Romans 5.1. We, we, we do read this a lot around here. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read that again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because it is what God has come to do for us, to make peace with us, to get us at peace with him. Isn't that amazing? Like, I don't know who it is in your life that you're seeking to make peace with. And as futile as that may feel, as, as tiresome as it may feel to try and make peace with a, with a person that just doesn't want peace back, the reality and the truth that we can have peace with God should just bring us to our knees. Absolutely bring us to our knees. I wanna read one more passage of scripture and then I just wanna give us like two things that we can just kind of application practically. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Someday we'll preach through Ephesians. But Ephesians 2, chapter 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of his hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. See it again? And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And so I just wanna, I don't even really feel like I have time for this and I hope that this just doesn't leave us on the, the wrong note because this is where it gets really practical. These are not original with me, but they're two things that I heard that are just really helpful. Practically, how do we reflect God's character as peacemakers. By the way, we know that when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, that he's talking to us. We don't, we don't make peace with God. Kind of like the same way we don't extend mercy to God, right? So we know that when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's talking about not vertically, but horizontally. He's made peace with us, so we make peace with others. And so we know that Jesus, when he says this, doesn't expect us to make our peace with God. He's made, our, he's made peace with us. We must trust him in faith. But what he's saying is that kingdom citizens then make peace with others because it reflects who God is. It reflects what God has done in their life. And so two really quick things. 
I'm probably just going to say these and then go out that door and get in the truck and leave, all right? No, I'm just kidding. First thing, first, first just really practical way, and let's, let's talk this out in community this week. If you're not in community, come talk to me, and I'll get you in it. Firstly, we initiate. You want to be a peacemaker? A peacemaker is not a peacekeeper. Peacemakers initiate. In our relationship with God, we were the initial offenders, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, we offended God. We broke peace with him. And we, before Christ, are all in Adam. And so we are the initial offenders in our brokenness with God, yet God is the one who initiates peace with us. We know that from the scriptures. Now, sometimes the peace that is needed, we gotta hear this, we've already kind of addressed this, sometimes the peace that is needed is not the result of a sin that you've committed. It's actually the result of a sin someone has committed against you. So what does that mean for peacemaking? Because surely God's not calling me to take the first step and initiate with someone something that's not my fault, right? I hope that, that I've spoken clearly enough about the grace that we should extend to those who are in this position. If this is you, let me tell you, we wanna be a place of grace for those of you who've experienced that that we would extend grace to those who have been sinned against. So my goal here is certainly not to be unloving, ungracious, or blind to that, but I need to tell you that someone's sin against you does not permit you to sin against them. Someone's sin against you does not permit you to sin against them. And so what does peacemaking look like in this situation? Well, I'll be honest. It may look like confrontation. Sometimes peacemaking is confrontational. I'd say maybe... Most of the time, it is. Peacemaking may, may look confrontational, and it may also mean that reconciliation doesn't happen, which, by the way, is the goal of peacemaking, is reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God, and now, guess what? Guess what Paul tells us? We've been reconciled to God, and now we have the ministry of reconciliation. Are we trying to reconcile ourselves to God? No, God's done it. Now we're working, we're peacemakers, we're working towards reconciliation with those around us. And so reconciliation may not happen, though that's the goal. But it does mean that we strive to confront in a peaceable way. That we strive to confront peaceably. Hard and difficult things may be said in a peaceable way. Did you know that? Did you know that like the the whole excuse, like this is just my personality, it's just who I am, like I'm just just abrupt, I just like to tell it like it is. Hey, like maybe that is your personality, but... It's not an excuse to to do something in a sinful way. Ask the Spirit of God to renew your personality. Ask the Spirit of God to to renew your heart and your mind on truth. And so hard and difficult things may be said in a peaceable way. And and again, reconciliation may not happen, which is why I'm so thankful that Paul writes what he writes in Romans 12. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And so this is, the, this is the real nitty-gritty of what distinguishes peacekeeping from peacemaking. And then secondly is this, most important, most important is that we pray, is that you, would, that you would pray. That you would pray to the Father because this is most certainly a spirit-enabled, spirit-empowered thing that we are speaking about. Like it doesn't just well up inside our natural hearts, but it is a it is a fruit of the Spirit's work 
in us. It is the characteristic of a kingdom citizen, but is also the fruit of the Spirit in us. And so we pray for the Spirit to work in us in this area. And again, church family, I hope, hope you know I love you. And, and, I, and I, I think you love me. But we're all suffering here. We're all struggling, right? Eugene Peterson says it this way. Like, we're, um, every, every believer that I know is a sinner, sufferer, and uneven performer. And we are not sure because, we are not sure because of ourselves. We are sure because Christ is sure of us. If you're his child, Christ is sure of you. Did you know that? Like, I know that you know we're not prosperity gospel people, right? Like, so we're not trying to like preach prosperity. If you are a child of God, God is certain about his love for you. He's not wondering, he's not regretting, he's not second guessing, he's not thinking, what have I done? And so we are sure, not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we know that we have a savior who is sure of of us because he has made peace. Not because we're good, not because we're worthy, but because he is. And so, man, the other, the, really the, the final thing that I'll say is, is this takes, obviously, as you feel, a lot of humility. It's like, that's gonna be the most, if I seek to make peace with that person that I'm at odds with, it's gonna be the most humiliating thing that I've ever had to do. And let me just tell you, that's exactly what it will be. It's exactly what it will be. It will be hard and it will be humiliating. But one of the reasons why weekly we come to the table, weekly we come to the table is so that we just kind of get in the habit of, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of times where I'm humbling myself in order to receive something that I don't deserve. And the table is the, I believe, is one of the best ways to experience that. We come to the table empty-handed, humbly, saying, I have nothing. And yet you walk away and you are reminded of the complete reconciliation and redemption and the peace that we have with God. And so can we stand together? We're gonna sing in response to these truths. And, and I mean, when the first note of this song hits, I, I believe the humble posture of kingdom citizens is get me to the table. So be the first to step out. It's, it's what God's calling us to in peacemaking, that you'd be maybe the first to take a step. So take a step towards towards receiving what God has given to us in his grace and in his forgiveness, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time together today. Um, We thank you that you are the the healer of what is broken, um, the redeemer of sin, um, that you are the, the ultimate peacemaker in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that that the Spirit of God would do the work within us to begin to, to experience what it is that you have for us as we, as we obey you and as we follow you. Lord, we've tried to figure out a whole lot of different ways to, to, to do this, and we just, we just submit again ourselves to your ways the best way. And it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be painful, May we not do it alone. May we not walk in isolation. May we walk in community with other people. May, may our communities be places of wisdom and encouragement and grace. And so, Lord, just help us in these things today. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.